Welcome to the bag drop. Professor, what's up? Good to see you. Been a little while. Um, back from Italy, which was just an amazing, amazing trip. Yeah, that, that didn't make me jealous one, one bit. You're just filling up on lattes and gelatos all, uh, all week. Yeah, congratulations to Trey Moon, um, Sweetens Cove legend, and his now wife, Erica, formerly pal, now Moon. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely lots of lattes, lots of gelato, lots of wine, um, plenty of red wine, uh, which learned something fascinating about red wine, something I've never heard before. Who knows if this is That's true right. or not? You ready? Yeah. All right, if you're having a full body red wine, like something that's robust, good flavor, good red wine, you never want to pour it into a clean glass or a glass lined with water. You actually want to pour it into a glass that you've already drank a softer red wine out of, and you don't want to clean it or anything. You want to drink it empty. But even if there's a little bit of red wine in the bottom still left, okay, the pour that full bodied, like robust red wine into it. Little, um, little mixer, huh? Yeah, something about like you don't want it just touching the glass and uh, reacting with the glass. It's okay if it touches a little bit of a similar red wine. So like because we, we follow yeah, up Pinot, more, Pinot with a, a Cabernet. Is that like what you're saying here? I guess. I mean, I don't know the full details of it, but we got very, what regions, Kevin? What regions are we talking we're, we're about? Here? Come Chianti. on, we're in the Chianti region okay. in Tuscany, and yeah, we. One of our um, individuals started to pour some water in the glass to clean it out, and she came running over. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, leave that red wine coated in there. We've got a really good one coming. So, I'll trust the Italian. Wanna... I'll trust the Italians when it comes to wine. That's interesting. I never knew that. Or they were just BSing us Americans. <laughs> yeah, like, like, can you believe these guys are drinking that swill? We're just mixing <laughs> and matching for them, and they're loving it. Yeah. Well, you're uh, that's a, that's a great factoid for the day. Um, but you're so smart, Kevin. I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm on location today. Well, yeah. I'm uh, I'm I'm in another you know you're on a campus at UGA I'm on a campus I'm here in South Bend Indiana Oof, I'm, I'm traveling we we had a kickoff party for New Club in Chicago last night uh, so I I thought I'd cut down the the drive and try to get home in time to pick up the kids so I'm here in South Bend at South Bend Country Club do you know anything about South Bend Country Club I I do not I know it's just around the street from Warren um, I don't know much about That's, South Bend Country Club but I've heard good things. It's it's awesome. Like they they let me bump some Wi-Fi here, and it is a, it was ah. a really badass club. So uh, George O'Neill, Chicago legend. He was a superintendent, first head pro at Beverly Country Club. Actually helped the layout ah. at Beverly Country Club. Did a few others, and he uh, built this place in 1916. The land movement is wild. There's a, it's like kind of sits up on on a hill on one side, but it's a big rolling hill, and then you go down the side of it and go kind of up into a corner. And the last six holes go along uh, a lake or a tributary, just something that it is scenic and, and awesome. And there's, I would argue one of the, it needs a, a restoration like many places do, but there is a short hole. The 15th hole, I believe is maybe one of the best shorts, probably it's dead downhill. It's the first time you took turn around and look directly at the lake, dead mm. downhill, probably 120 yards, plays more like 95. And it's just, just, chaos everywhere with little pop bunkers and, and a little drop off behind the green. It, it's such a, a cool golf course. And uh, thank you. I had to give them a shout out today because they're letting me use their Wi-Fi, of course. Uh, part of the new club two-step, as we call it, or the South Bend two-step, where we play Warren, a, a right around the street, like you said, Notre Dame's golf course. Uh, for I, What I love about Warren, it's a Coor and Crenshaw that you can play for under 100 bucks. Oh. I don't think that exists anywhere else. It's, it's I can't think of it. 
strategic, awesome little spot. We, we usually will play there in the morning and over here in the afternoon and you head back to Chicago. It's such, it's hard to beat in the Midwest, like classic with, with modern, you know, minimalist. Uh, it's just such a cool, cool little two-step here in South Bend. So I had to give them a shout out. But in honor of our, I was thinking about this today, in honor of our, our very special guest who we will get to here, I had a couple questions that I think might overlap with his world for you, Professor, because you're so darn smart. Uh, you'll obviously know the answers to these. Uh, who's the me- most decorated golfer from Notre Dame? Oh, you're asking me about Notre Dame. Like I said, I do not like Notre Dame except when Ohio State's <laughs> whipping them on the football field, which has happened regularly regularly recently. Uh, the dogs as well. Um, just to rub that in a little bit more for any Notre Dame listeners. Most decorated <laughs> golfer. I know my boy Nico is friends with one of their recently former golfers. I don't have, have they been good at golf? I mean, do they have a decorated golfer other than like a Notre Dame decoration of because they love themselves? <laughs> Yeah, you gotta go. You gotta go back a ways. They do not have a lot of uh, PGA Tour stars. We'll just say that. But you gotta go back. You gotta go back to the the, the 60s, 60s. If you hone in, you're not gonna get this one. It's not Hill or Win. He he also became famous for golf course management. He he started a management company that managed a lot of golf courses. Maybe that'll help. I'm gonna give it to you because we got Billy more Casper. questions. Oh, he got it. Unbelievable. That, that's that's yes. one of the only people in management that, is that I know. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But Billy Casper, one of the best putters ever. He was a Notre Dame fighting Irish. All and right, yeah, next I question. Management-wise, like, huge, right? Like, third largest management company at one point or something like that. I mean, it was yeah, you got it. size, wasn't it? Yep, yeah. yeah. Uh, this one is in honor of our very special guest today. The most decorated football player. You got to know this one. Uh, that, uh, that one's I mean— I would say Rudy, um, just as a joke, but Joe Montana. Like, Joe Montana. Gotta go with, gotta go with Joe. Forty Niners. Like it's when you take an NFL and college career all at once, like Joe Montana's the one. And I'll have I'll have a follow up for our, our guests with that question. Uh, the uh, here's one for our alma mater. Who is the only football coach to coach at both the University of Akron and Notre Dame Fighting Irish? Head coach. I don't remember. I don't remember his name. Um, I, was I should. No, I should nobody. Go, go nobody would get this one. He had a sh- not a long career at Notre Dame, but maybe the most beloved coach. Even even Lou. Mm. People love this man, Jerry Faust. Jerry Faust is right. the head coach of both Akron, the Akron Zips, and the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Um, another one for our guests. The most famous band from Notre Dame. Three of the five met at Notre Dame. Most fa- famous band. Five members. Mm, don't don't got. They might have music. more. I, I not a music I, guy. Don't know. Umphreys McGee. Umphreys McGee. No kidding. That, that yeah, makes sense. Yeah. That's on brand. That's uh, yeah. Yeah. And then and then the were last last one. Were they originally from Boston and then went there, or originally one of them was know? from Indiana or from South Bend. One okay. of them was. I I can't remember who, but somebody was. Uh, and then the last question here: the honorary new club member, our first honorary new club member that went to Notre Dame. First honorary new club member was Tom Coyne, our first honorary new club member. Tom Coyne. Yep. Tom Coyne. Well, I, I sure as hell know Andy Johnson didn't go to Notre Dame, but no, uh, that's that's <laughs> Illinois all day. He makes sure to yeah. remind that every. And Roger Steele didn't go to Notre Dame, but uh, yes, Tom Coyne was. And you know what I respect about Tom <laughs> Coyne is he doesn't tell you that the first time he meets you. That's that's another thing with my Notre Dame friends. They always kind of remind me. I was like, hey, you don't need to tell me. I get it. Harvard of the Midwest. 
But uh, no, thank you to South Bend for for hosting the Bag Drop podcast today. Let's get to our guest, Kevin. Let's, let's, let's bring him in. I am very excited today. Are we ready to bring him in? Let's do it. All right. You got the controls. Mr. Poosh, welcome to the Bag Drop. Guys, thanks for having me. Glad to be here at promptly at 30 minutes late, but you know, glad to, glad to be here nevertheless. Apologies. We're, we're going to slide right over your, you're, we're going to let everyone assume that this is right on cue, but no, it's very professional, uh, it's very professional over here. Every great artist is late, right? That's, that's, <laughs> the, that's the, just like professors. We're the same way. Like 30 minutes late is on time. That's right. Wow. It's like, what's the saying? Leave them wanting more? No, have them want more from the beginning. You got to set the... <laughs> so excited yeah. today to have Micah Pushel on the pod. For those out there, my gnome is Push Daddy, guitarist and vocalist of Iration, match play arch nemesis of No Laying Up. We might dive into that at some point. All around brilliant Twitter follow. Um, and I truly mean all around there, right? Like current events, sports, culture, politics, just everything. He's your man to follow. Get on there. But let's start off. I know you're a sports guy. We're moving into draft season. How are you feeling about the 49ers going into draft season and then their outlook come this uh, come this fall? Where are we at with them? <clears throat> well, I think I feel pretty good about the team. I think the roster is largely intact from last year and actually you know, uh, maybe even improved uh, after getting Javon, uh, J- Javon Hargrave from the Eagles, uh, who, you know, the, we had the best defense in the NFL last year, but I think a lot of people – but what they didn't realize is that the interior of our defensive line was very was actually kind of a weak point for the first time in the entire time that Shannon had been there. Uh, and so they really were like, you know, we need to invest a little bit into this. And the fact that we have two quarterbacks, now we have three quarterbacks that are basically on rookie deals. They're able to spread the money out and invest in other other places. I mean, Brock Purdy is not even... Uh, one of the 51 most highest paid players on the roster. So he doesn't even count against our salary cap right now uh, until the season starts. So he's making like $980,000 or something this year. And um, I mean, that's barely what a a Georgia professor makes from what I understand. So uh, um, I don't know. They go to Italy and and drink fine wines. I know. I was listening to the Chianti and I was like, yeah, Oh my God, man, that sounds delightful. Um, But yeah, so no, I feel good. Um, the Niners don't have a first or a second, but they have three thirds and like I think they have three thirds and three two or three fifths. Um, so they have a lot of you know day three picks, and I'm trying to figure out like if they're going to package try to package the picks and move up, or they're going to stay put and just try to throw out a bunch of lines and see if something hits. Which is, you know, they've been ultra successful in the late rounds over since Shanahan Lynch had been there. Fred Warner, George Kittle, uh, Lenore, cornerback, Hufanga, all these guys are all round three or later picks. And so, you know, it might be worth just staying there and throwing a bunch of <clears throat> throwing a bunch of bait into the ocean and see which one hits. But um yeah, I'm I'm I think the Niners are strong. I know you're obviously a massive Niners fan. When did it? I want to know when it started for you. I want to know if you know my little trivia question. To start the the show on Joe Montana. Do you know what pick he was for the 49ers? I think Joe was picked. 
I don't know. I'm not going to get it right. It's, it was, I think he was picked. Oh, was he in the second round? Third round. Third round. Oh, I knew Third he wasn't round, in the first round. 83rd, 83rd pick. 83rd I, I saw that pick. this morning. I was really kind of surprised because, I mean, the guy had a great college career too. It's just he fell that low. That's kind of surprising. It's weird how that happens. I think, you know, with the Niners, I, I grew up in Hawaii, and um, I think my it was kind of right. You know, I'm 41, so it was right in the heart of when the Niners were, you know, soaring in the 80s, and my dad was a, was a fan. And so I think that's how it just – rubbed off on me and it, one of the, like the claim to fame is that we uh when we we moved when i was about 10 years old and and the house we moved into was supposedly joe montana's ex-wife's family's home or something like that. so we were like oh my god i live in joe montana's house when you're 10 <laughs> but yeah so you know i've just always been a fan i think it's just ever since i was a little kid and then obviously as i i grew up and I played football in high school and I played football in college. And so that was, you know, I got really into the game and, and um, a little bit, you know, deeper into the game. And then there was a, a, lo- a long period of frustration with the 49ers uh, before Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan came into, you know, the, the fray. And uh, since he's been there, it's been awesome. It's really reinvigorated my interest in the team and, and got a lot, you know, it's hard when Chip Kelly's going like four and, 12 or whatever to, to really just be feel super invested into the team. I mean, I'm, I'm there, I'm watching the games, I'm paying attention, but it's, it's definitely a lot more fun when you're relevant every year. So it's a good, a good era right now. We want to know what that's like being Browns fans. The two of us, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we don't know what you're talking. We can't relate. At can't all. relate. Sorry. Sorry. Yikes. Uh, Yikes. Kevin, you want to get into golf or music first? What? Let's uh, go. I think, cliche but that you're you're the music guy matt that's that's dive into music we'll <laughs> find music a way to guy. segue if can, I'm can, the I say, music guy. can i say one thing first before you yeah. you mentioned umphreys mcgee we've actually toured with umphreys mcgee so um i did a tour with them i can't remember what year it was i think it was like 2013 or 14 awesome guys they are like one of the craziest most musically talented band i've ever seen in my life really um we toured in a very strange, like northwestern United States run. Um, we played theaters, and they have so much gear that because I don't know if you've ever seen Humphreys and McGee, it's like, they're kind of like this prog jam jam band mishmash thing. But there's so much gear on stage: amps, uh, keyboards, drums, all these different things. And so when we would play with them, they'd set up on these stages that are these, uh, you know, theater stages. And then they'd be like, after they're done sound checking, they'd be like, okay, you guys go ahead and set up. And we get up on the stage and there'd be like, you know, there's, there's five of us and there would be like a, a 10 by 10 space for us to fit into. So like I would be a lot of the times on, at night when we get on stage, I'd get up on the stage and I would have to, I would have to get like pinned into where I was on the front of the stage. <laughs> And I couldn't move. I couldn't get off the stage. I was like, man, if there's like somebody, like, if I had to like use the bathroom, I couldn't even like walk off the stage right now. I'd be like, I'm just stuck here <laughs> to stand here because you'd have to pin me in because it was just so tight. But they were they were super cool, and they were like, they did all these crazy stuff where they would they had hand signals on stage where they would signal each other the switch of the key. You know, they was like a minor was like if you point down it was minor key, and then they had like. They had all these different hand signals for like A, B, C, D, you know, all, you know, all the keys. And then 
they had microphones that they could communicate with each other on stage through the inner monitors. And it was just an awesome experience. Like learning from them, we learned, a, we learned a lot just of like how to communicate on stage and how important it is to like let, uh, to have moments where you kind of go off the beaten path and like let it go and just to see what happens. Um, cause they would do a different set every single night. They would play the songs totally different. They would, you know, it was a lot of improv improvisation in that way. It was like jazz, but it, they're rocking, you know, it's not mm -hmm. jazz. It's not light. And then they would record the shows every night and sell them at the, they would print like a hundred CDs at the front of, uh, the merch booth and sell them every single night. So it was like one of those crazy experiences. Like we it didn't really make sense. Like now people would be like, wait, you toured with Humphreys and you, that doesn't make sense. But it, it, it kind of did and they were super cool guys and we like hung out with them and partied with them and yeah they're great that's so cool i i yeah. it's, it's funny when i saw that like jump off when i was searching for you know people from notre dame i saw that i was like i feel like that's a band that push and iration would would get along with and that would be a i didn't know you guys toured that's so cool yeah, I, yeah they were really cool kevin called me a music guy i'm not i i am a little bit of a reggae head uh and but I'm no DJ Pie with with my record collections. Kevin mm -hmm. has a, a record collection, so I think you're more the music guy, Kevin. But that's that's just more hipster oriented than than music, maybe. Yeah, I I, I remember having this moment uh, not that long ago, Poosh. But there there I just have like I'm the Spotify guy that gets his music from the algorithm, right? And I hate saying that. I know that's that's, but they know I like reggae. They tell me to listen to stuff, and that is how I found you guys. Like like it was just, I think it was Fallen was one of the yeah. songs on playlists where I click on that playlist and I say, let's see who this band is. Oh, it's Iration. I've heard of them. So I started listening to you guys then. And then the whole no laying up, finding you with those guys and realizing you're a golf sicko. I was like, all right, <laughs> they got me. I'm a fan for life now. So that's that's kind of my my relationship with Iration. But I, I had some questions on, on reggae because I think, that, like I said, that's a, a, a genre in my house that we play, you know, most weekends. Uh, you're going to hear reggae in our house and it always kind of hit, hits me in a uh, a good move, uh, a, a good vibe, a good you know the melody kind of puts me in a good mental place. Yeah. And um, I, I wanted to hear about like your relationship with that art form of reggae and, and kind of where it started. What when did you know it was this one of the styles of music that was going to fit you really well and, and something mm -hmm. that you might excel at? Yeah, so you know, we grew up in Hawaii first and foremost. I think that's the you know kind of where everything starts is that when in Hawaii the the, the the form of music that is basically like the local style of music is a mishmash of reggae and Hawaiian and kind of like pop music essentially, or um, almost like Laurel Canyon type singer songwriter stuff. But then they mish they will like cover it in a reggae style and so that's the music that i grew up with listening to and obviously on the radio there was reggae and bands like ub40 and and that were very popular in the 80s uh you know they just were on the radio and so that's what we had and um you know where i lived in hawaii there was basically i think three radio stations that you that you could catch at any you know one time and it was like one very adult contemporary, you know, Wilson Phillips and uh, bands like that, Peter Cetera, things like that, that were just like real Anglo down the pipe, like top 40 contemporary, like, yeah. And 
Um, and then there was like a, a station that had like local Hawaiian music and reggae. And, and so it was, that's what we listened to. And, and so it started there. Uh, just always love reggae. I think everybody listens to it in Hawaii. And, and obviously, like you said, it's for the, the vibe and the beach and, you know, just kind of the, it's a cultural thing. And then, uh, when we moved to, when we went to college, um, I started learning how to play guitar actually in college. I played ukulele before that, which was, if you, you know, I'm sure that'd be a great visual for people, but, um, big dude with a small instrument. Um, but there was, a after I graduated from college, uh, all my, my bandmates were at UCSB. And so I moved up, to, I went to Pomona college and I graduated from there and I moved up to UCSB, uh, just moved in with the guys. Cause they're like, I didn't have anything to do. I was traveling, uh, playing rugby in, in Europe and they're like, just move in with us. Like really, I love Santa Barbara. I'd go up there and, and visit and party on the weekends. And so we ended up there and they had started the band and, and we're basically just jamming in the garage. And I think, a lot of it was that at that time they were just really into reggae and they found some friends, some guys that were really into it. And so it's, it's, they just started playing covers and started learning songs. And, and that was, you know, the, the, the beginning of it. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. And I think when we started writing music was, it became obvious that th that was going to be kind of part of the foundation of what we we're doing, because it just was how we learned how to play was learning how to play reggae music. And so foundationally that was the rhythm that our bass player and our drummer felt most comfortable playing is those, those type of backbeat rhythms that are like, you know, opposite of what a normal rock band would be playing on, you know, a number a normal rock band is playing on the one and the three and we're playing on the two and the four. So even to, for us to play, to, when we cover, you know, rock and roll songs, like we have a cover of Tom Petty's, uh, last dance with mary jane it's a totally different rhythm for us that we're, we're used to playing so it's a good like you know for us to go be able to go back and forth it's good good practice but yeah it started there and that's it just continued through and i think we've just you know it's always been a part of what the foundation of our sound is and it's like once you get kind of established and you have some songs that reach a level of success your fans kind of expect that expect you to keep down that road and so you know we always keep a little bit of that in the you know what we do i the you mentioned the rhythm of of uh the, the art form of reggae and and that beat that two four beat isn't it also called like uh one one drop rhythm is yeah one drop yeah that's yeah one drop is that is the the kind of where the the um you have the the skank guitar it's a skank guitar where it's got that like really muted sound and then yeah. uh one drop is a where the, the, it's kind of very Bob Marley-esque, which is where the, the drum beat kind of goes like that instead of going or, you know, whatever else a different drum beat would be. But it's this kind of, it's not really a tot, you know, it's kind of like these Jamaican dudes just were playing Motown and then that's where they ended up like in different ways trying to play like Motown music basically in soul um, from the 60s. I, I really was told somewhere along, along the lines that that rhythm is the closest thing to the average human's resting heartbeat. Is that, can you back me up on that? Is that correct? I think that's like, you know, that's a very, uh, it's, a, it's it, it was like, you know, these producers, these Jamaican producers, I think that's what they were really going for. I'm not sure if that's a hundred percent true, but it's, 
It could be. I think that was what they always go for is that that what the kick drum is acting as is the heartbeat of the song. You know, that's what they say in, in general. But um, I think that was really what they were, were trying to do is trying to emulate that. And then the, the naturalness of that somehow, somehow, if you can hit that rhythm uh, of, of, you know, that emulates the heart, the heartbeat, your heartbeat rhythm, then somehow you'll naturally connect to the, the rhythm of the song in a way that is, you know, different than something that's speed metal, you know? Yeah. I, I can't not move when I'm listening to a, a, a good reggae song. And I think, I, I don't know if that had something to do with it, that, that heartbeat rhythm, but, and this might take us into golf, which I know we want to talk to you plenty about, but my, my other question for you specifically on, on reggae is, I know we're all the three of us are all golf blueprint practitioners here and uh, obviously very helpful for the game. Shout out to our sponsor of the podcast, Golf Blueprint. But I think uh, I think reggae is my performance enhancing drug out on the golf course. I swear to you, I, I legitimately maybe three shots around if if we're playing a reggae playlist or a reggae album versus anything else on the course. So I, I wanted to ask you if you have a do you experience a, a similar phenomenon with your score when you're on the course or what do you like to listen to on the course? You know, I'm not a, I'm not a music listener on the golf course. I personally, I don't care if it's on like I, all my friends do like all the guys that I generally hang out with and play with probably 90% of them play music on the golf course. I don't, I don't carry a, a Bluetooth. Um, I think that's just, a, I think that's just a, a case of me, being around music all the time so that I kind of prefer the quiet of golf. Um, when we go places that I, I like to hear the sound of nature and the ball and, and all the little sat, the little minute sounds of, of golf are kind of what I, I like. Um, but if it's like, you know, I play at soul park a lot in, uh, it's my kind of my home course here and that everybody's got music at soul park cause it's such a, you know, laid back vibe. And so when we're out there, I, it doesn't really matter to me as long as it's not something that's, <clears throat> that's hitting my ear in a way that, that I'm like, ah, like, you know, um, cause for music with me, uh, when you, when you become a music maker, uh, creator, it's hard to separate the song from the parts of the song you know what i mean it's it's like mm. i suppose if you're a, a chef you eat something and you're tasting you're trying to t taste all the ingredients for me when i hear a song i'm hearing all the pieces of the song and so it's kind of hard to separate that when i'm listening to music it's like there's certain songs that I, you know that will i'll hear and not like or like because of certain things like in that in that nature and so when it comes to music on the golf course I, I definitely would probably prefer something like reggae that's a little bit like more relaxed and groovy and and over something that's you know I have friends that play like just straight hit the pop hits you know and it's like mm -hmm. I, I it's I don't understand it I just don't get that like vibe you know it's like some random Maroon Five song from like 2014 I'm just like dude like what why like what is this like that's not that's not the birdie juice man. That's no, that's not it. That's not it. That's not helping you hit strike your irons better straight up. Yeah, I think you're. I'm a lot like you, Pushin. When I'm on the, I'm definitely fine listening to music, especially up at like Sweetens Cove when we're just burning it up. But overall, yeah. I prefer like just connecting with the grounds, the game, the people I'm with, the sounds, the birds, all that. A little zen-like uh, aspect of golf. But before we dive 
much more into golf. I want to follow up on something you you, you touched on briefly. Like music is a creative act, and you, but then you also identified like you'll become a very popular band, right? Like there's not many people that listen to music that don't know Iration now, which means you've developed the sound. How do you handle as as a band and you yourself as a musician of like the community knows your sound, right? And they expect some sound, but I'm sure you also want to re- reinvent yourself at times or try something new. How do you balance that uh, as a band, both in your just recording music, but also your shows? And uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's a that's actually really apt because at the moment uh, we just finished a we're, we're in the in the process of writing uh, writing and recording a new album, uh, actually two new albums, which is crazy and. Um, we really did that, and for um, this band, you know, when we started was buds from college that got together, and call it buds from high school, really, they got together, and we had no idea what we we're doing. You know, we learned how to play music together. We, we learned how to record music by pure trial and error, um, and we did one full album, uh, and it was total get a total guessing game it's called no time for rest it's still available but if you listen to it it's like it's what you think like a bunch of 21 22 year old guys would do if they had really no idea what they were doing and then we made we after we learned we made an album called time bomb and that's been kind of the album that's really you know been the 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 engine of our career thus far and um so to say after that we went to make an album called we made an album called Automatic. We worked with a guy named Lincoln Parrish, who uh, was in a band called Kids the Elephant, and they were having a large uh, level of success at the time. And we really pushed towards a more alternative rock sound because we had had some success in alternative radio. And <clears throat> at that moment, there was definitely that's when there became this kind of branch off from the original sound, you know, in, initially, and then. Uh, one of our singers left the band and that kind of created a, a three-year gap in between making records. And then when we came back, we did a, uh, we worked with a different producer. And so it's been, and that was also this kind of more produced sound, I would say a lot, you know, bigger sounding, the drums got bigger and everything got bigger. And then we kind of went on this kind of journey to, finding what experimenting and doing all these things for the, the last three albums. And that was really a, you know, some of our fans didn't like it. Like, just to be honest, um, the last album that we did, there was a lot of fans that it just didn't click for. I think we went into this really funky, more soul influenced and kind of seventies thing that, that we were, were, that's just what we were into. Um, Obviously we released it in June of the 2020. So it wasn't the most optimal time to put a record out, but um, we, we kind of went on this long journey for three albums. We made a lot of music in that time. And it was a lot of it was a lot of it was experimental and a lot of it was kind of pushing where what we are as a band and what we sound like. And uh, at the end of it, now I think we've kind of said, okay, we've done that. Now let's go back to what makes us, you know, what really was the, you know, the first thing that really made us who we are. And that's, you know, our live, our live performance and the way that we play as a band and synergize. And so, this last record has really, really been the focus is bringing that back to, you know, the original thing. And I think uh, 
that, that's the hard thing. It is. It's like you kind of have to go out on a limb and, and try some new things and push it. And if you don't, then you kind of will probably end up burning out as an artist. And if you do, you're going to lose, probably lose some fans along the way, or you're going to have face some backlash for, you know, people that just don't get it or don't like it. And that's fine. Um, but I think it's important. I think every artist does it. And, every, you know, uh, for me, the North star has always been an artist, artist like Tom Petty that have been able to do the, the most simple things in a way that, that speak to, to the most amount of people. I think saying the most simple things and the simple words that end up becoming these you know, kind of like universal messages and universal songs. And I think his career, he kind of did the same thing. Um, and it was, a, it was like when we started making this record, that was where I, I just kept get, seeing all these things. It was when uh, the, the anniversary of his album, Wildflowers was coming out. And so I was like, just looking at that, I was like, oh, he made three records that were really big produced with Jeff Lynne from ELO. And he was like, and he wanted to just strip it back and do this whole thing. And I was like, ah, that's like exactly what I'm like. It just became this like weird thing where I was like, that's just, that's just more telling me that's what we need to do. You know what I mean? That that's the direction that we need to do. And so, yeah, I think that's what it is. I think you, you kind of, it's a very fine line and you, you kind of have to go out there and, and experiment and do some things and try new things and, and, uh, put yourself out there in that way. And if you do, and and sometimes your fans will go with you and they'll love it, but sometimes they won't. And for the most part, if you look at any band out there, it's, that's just how it goes. Like they, they, the people love, you know, they want us to make time bomb two part two, three, four, five, six. And it's like, that's just, if we had to do that, we'd probably lose steam and we'd all be sick of playing the songs by, you know, after we've been a band since 2000, 2005 essentially but you know touring since 2008 so it's we would have like probably burnt out you know after like five or six years of doing that it just it gets old and so you, you want to be able to to change it up and play new stuff and that's that's where we are now and so i feel you know that's a good that's a great question thanks for letting me ramble on about it no i appreciate that uh you know, definitely being a fan of Urals as well as, you know, several other bands, I always appreciate when bands do experiment, even if it didn't, the subsequent sound isn't my preference, it still makes me appreciate the band even more, right? Because, you know, I'm in the world of writing for, for scholarship and, and the academy, and I look at, like, your creative acts and, like, you're just trying to be creative and whatever's speaking to your soul at the time, and that's what I'm there as a listener to hear, and regardless if I love it or not, like, I appreciate that act, so... I, all I have to say is a thank you for doing that. And I'm looking forward to the next albums now too. <laughs> to see, to <laughs> no see way. They, like, yeah, to see that change up from the, I know exactly what you're saying with the previous albums and I can see where some people from the time bomb era might not like that, but yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I think, yeah, I think the, what we've been doing recently is it's, it is, it's like really capturing uh, the band, you know what I mean? And, and not trying to trick it out or make it bigger and change it up or do anything. It's just, like let's write some songs and let's play these songs and let's try and re- get the recording as close to what it would feel like, you know, in a live as a live performance. So yeah, I'm excited. Poosh, how's that whole process work with a band? Cause I, I think everyone, it's like you guys are on a creative journey together, but then if, what if one, one a person in the band is really looking to test out like a, a certain aspect of, of their creative ride and it's not meshing with like what, what the next plan is. Like, how, how does, I've always been curious. I mean, I've been a part of sports teams 
that were like that. But music, on, it seems like another level where there's th- that that cohesion has to happen, or 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 does it? Well, I think there's solo projects for the <laughs> for that reason, and that's always been a thing. It's like, <clears throat> listen, if you're not feeling your you're not getting your your, your kicks out with the with the band, you can go and do your own thing and, and see what happens, and and that nobody will you know, fault you for that. The the problem being in my case is that I write a lot of the, or I co-write almost all the music for the band and with the band. So if I am out there writing songs for myself or for other people that are good songs, then it looks, feels like, well, why didn't you just write that for us? Like that's, you know, it's like you're giving away the, you're giving away the good. So it's like, I think that for me, I, it kind of has become a little bit of like that, that if, if my creativity goes in a certain way, that's just kind of how the band is going to go in, in certain ways. And that, that they trust, they have to be able to trust me to do that and do it in a way that's not, you know, I'm not just, I'm not making like a, trying to make like a Lady Gaga record or something. It's just, I'm just going to do something that's a little bit different. You know, I'm not going to go and totally strip everything away and make it a totally a different thing but i think that you know like for instance the last record being very a lot more funky and a lot more soul driven i think that was you know uh, something that the guys were okay with i think they they you know they didn't even might not have been all their favorite thing but they were okay with going in that direction because musically and it pushed the band musically in a way that was different and fun and you know, it made everybody have to lift their levels and, and experiment and play things that maybe are outside the comfort level. And I think that's always good too, is like pushing yourself out of the comfort zone constantly um, as an artist uh, is you just can't stay in the same thing over and over and over and over again. You have to, you have to be able to be comfortable. And this is like golf, I think is pushing yourself out of your comfort zones. You know, it's like changing. If you're not, if you're not playing well, you have to be able to, tinker with your, you know, maybe it's your grip, maybe it's your setup, maybe it's something that doesn't feel good at the, at the beginning, but then it becomes natural and and it ends up working in a way that really improves you, your game going forward. So, um, yeah, I think they just have, there has to be a level of trust there. And then I think it just comes down to like hearing that also and communicating and, and hearing if there's guys that have, you know, feel one way or they want to do one thing, like let them do it, you know, let them try, or at least, you know, with us, what you can do is a lot of, is incorporate a lot of that into the live performance and um, let that energy kind of come out on the stage because that that always works. You know, for the most part, works. Is you can do a lot of different things live that you can't do necessarily do on a record. All right, let's move to golf. As Matt said, you are a golf sicko, right? Like, <clears throat> every, you're you're incredibly knowledgeable about golf. You're incredibly driven. You work on your game. You love golf courses. You know, you engage in golf Twitter. What brought you to golf? Like, why Why is golf your <clears throat> outlet? Um, well, I played junior golf as a, as a kid. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, my dad played. Uh, my dad was uh, your average weekend golfer that goes out with his buddies to drink beers and shoot 110 and he grew up, he grew up, you know, caddying as a kid and in, in Maui. And, and so he was around the game and my grandfather played. And so 
but he never really took it very seriously. I, I started playing junior golf when I was a kid. I enjoyed it. I loved the, it was like the one kind of solo individual sport that I did. I was always a team, team sport guy, um, my whole life. And, and it was like kind of the one individual sport that I did as a kid. Uh, then in high school, I didn't play in high school, um, although I probably could have played on the team because there was a lot of, we weren't very good. Um, I did play a lot. So I just kept, I played and played. I could consistently shoot, you know, in the 80s um, when I was in high school, just picking up the clubs and go out there and play. Had no, I re- hadn't really, you know, had a lesson or any anything like that in, since I was a kid. And then I stopped playing when I went to college. Uh, just didn't have buddies that played very much. I would play when I go home for like Christmas and stuff like that or on my breaks, but I wouldn't play a lot. And then when I joined the band, just, just didn't play because I was broke for probably, I don't know, five years, at least five years. Um, just couldn't afford to play golf, lost my golf clubs. Was obviously not buying new golf clubs. Thought somebody stole my golf clubs. And then I found them in our, in our band house in the attic when we cleaned the house out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they're up in the, on the rafters. I was like, oh my God, my golf clubs. Um, I was like, just, like, for like three years, just telling people, yeah, they got stolen out of my car, got stolen out of my car. And then like, went up there. My roommates, one of my roommates, the keyboard player, was like, yo, I think I found your golf clubs in the rafters. I was like, what? Uh, so, Poosh, Poosh, I, I, I have been telling people I lost my clubs for like two decades now. I think I, ha- I think it's somewhere that I just got drunk and forgot them. I, I, I truly believe that. So I, I it happens. Listen, it happens. You put them somewhere, you forget. It's, it's like you know, it happens with everything, really. But yeah, so uh, actually, then we were in Monterey uh, at this festival. Uh, and some of my buddies had started playing again um, in my band and our tour manager and our uh, sound engineer had started playing. And then and a guy from another band that we knew uh, also, and they were like, let's go play golf. And I was like, all right, I'll play. So, and I went out there and I, they were all hitting the ball and I could not make contact, could not like hit the ball forward. And it was the most frustrating thing for me uh seeing my buddies like at least be able to get around the golf course and i was so used to just pick up the clubs go out there shoot 84 85 whatever it was with ease and i could not make contact and it was embarrassing and i was like you know i I fancy myself a decent athlete you know i played collegiate sports and um i've always been pretty easy to pick the game up couldn't do it so that really like set a kind of a fire under me of wait a second like these guys are all better than me at golf and i can't even i suck really i'm not very good and so i started to practice and started to kind of get back into it and we started playing more and and um that kind of kicked it off and then i just got the bug hard really hard and um my girlfriend at the time was my wife now uh she was living in honolulu and so I would spend my off months uh, in Hawaii with her and they have a driving range there uh, that's open at the Alawai that's open till like 11 p.m. at night. And so I'd be like, she was a teacher and I'd, I'd be like, laying, she's getting her master's degree and, and was teaching. So I was like laying in bed with her at like nine o'clock and she's falling asleep and I'm like thinking about golf and I'd just be like, yeah, I got to go hit some balls. I just like get in the car and go down to the driving range and just pound balls at like 10 o'clock at night and just, just played a lot of golf over there. And then 
that kind of kickstarted it for me. And then we, uh, she's from Scotland, so she's from Glasgow, Scotland. And so we did our first trip to Scotland in, uh, 2016. And when that happened, I was like, okay, well now I get to delve into what my itinerary is going to be and what, you know, where am I going to play? And then, um, from there, I just watching videos and really delving in, I found, uh, the Scottish golf podcast with Rue McDonald. And it, he was the first person I remember talking about golf course architecture. And that really like gripped me. I was like, wait, oh, there's architecture involved in, in golf. I had not even thought about that or like, I mean, I guess I did, but it, it never really occurred to me that, that, you know, the way that you think about golf in that, in that way, just a different kind of, uh, just a kind of different paradigm in the way that you're like looking in, at golf. And so as a puzzle and as, as, as a puzzle game and almost a strategy game is more than just a physical act and a, and a athletic thing. And so, um, from there, obviously I found, you know, Friday and no lane up and all these, you know, these other pod golf podcasts that I had just, you know, went searching for anything that golf and I was watching anything that was on golf on TV and, and it's kind of just led me to, to, to now where, uh, I still, love the game, not quite as feverishly in, in consuming every single golf thing that I, that I can. I'm not watching golf channel, <laughs> like a, a morning drive, like every morning with like TiVoing that and watching every minute of that. I'm just not that sick, but I still play, you know, try to play every, at least once a week, um, at soul park. And when I go on the road, when I go on tour, that's like my time to get all the G in. Um, cause I don't have, responsibilities adult responsibilities like uh, a child or a marriage <laughs> that I, I have to tend to every day a, a, a quick aside question i want to go back to maui you grew up in maui right i grew up on the big island but yeah my dad uh is from maui so i actually spent a lot of time golfing on maui i i read this literally yesterday because there's a bunch of debate over the price increases in the uk on on golf courses and that locals are now feeling like they're priced out of playing around different different courses because of the tourist dollars. You know, they're raising raising the rates, inflation, all the all the things. But I someone cited that like the UK should look to, to Hawaii for the model of pricing. And I, there's something called I'm going to butcher this, so forgive me. But Kama Ana Kama Ana Kama Yeah Kama Ana. So tell us about that. Like that's a different rate for locals. How's that work? Yeah, so Kamaaina is basically if you have a Hawaii driver's license, you can you pay a different rate for golf, and it shows that you're a local that you live there. Um, there's a lot of Kamaaina deals. It's not just golf; it's you know, it's hotels and lots of other things. And uh, sorry, my daughter just you got a visitor. One of the, Bring them on. The, we love we love other those, guests. It's that shot of the guy where his kid walks in behind him and he's on like it's, you know the BBC or whatever, and he's like falls out of his chair. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> yeah. So it, the the Carolina deal, it's it's. I mean, it, it is. It's great because the you know the the they are able to charge more for the tourists that can afford it, you know, that are staying at these, you know, expensive resorts and, and, you know, they're going to be there and play there one time. And it's, you know, maybe if it's 300 bucks around or you know, 200 bucks around, they can afford that. But when tourist season ends, there's, uh, where are you going to get your players from? You, you know, the local people are not going to pay $300 to play golf at a place where you're going to lose 10 golf balls and 
it's hard and you know what i mean it's like so they're going to go to the places that are you know the the, the like uh, it's just like anywhere else you know what i mean like the, the average golfer is not does not want to pay that that premium for golf they want to pay like what i pay at soul park which is 36 dollars on the weekend or 50 dollars on the on the or on the on the weekday sorry and then like 50 dollars or 60 dollars on the weekend and i love the scottish model i think that the scottish model in general is uh, the model that everybody should be following you know is which when it just in terms of like almost every every way that they handle golf over there is is just so much smarter and and so much more uh forward thinking and and uh it's 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 for everybody you know it really is it's it's the game there is meant for everybody to be in, to be inclusive and for everybody to be able to able to play and you know just the fact that it's like you know 500 bucks or 500 you know pounds to be a member at north barrack uh that always just i circles through my brain like once every you know, week when i just think about you know what it costs to be in any of the clubs that i live in the town where i live in santa barbara which is you know hundred and fifty thousand dollars two hundred fifty thousand dollars and the courses are like not even a quarter as good as soul park you know for that matter so uh yeah so i think you know hawaii has has its own issues and i think that's you know they they're trying they try to do do a right by the locals and but i think you know i wouldn't say that they're the the, the model per se yeah i i knew nothing about it. thank you for for sharing yeah. <laughs> all right so let's let's go back on tour what's your you know you say that's that's g season right when you're on tour take that's us right. to your ideal day your ideal tour day what's what's going on what are you doing what are you doing to prep Ideal tour day, like, okay, so I generally, I don't play as much on the day, the day of show, just because if I, if we're headlining, it's really hard because then I have, I have to play 90 minutes and that's 90 minutes of energy. It's later at night. Um, probably a little bit, my feet are sore, a little bit tired from like walking, playing golf, but there are, have been some days this summer we are not headlining so we only have to play an hour every night and we play earlier so there probably will be a lot of golf on the day on the days of show um i had one you know there's there's been some really great some really great days days off i think uh days of days of tour i think one of them that i can think of we were in bend bend oregon uh we spent we woke up in the morning um went and played the crosswater uh resort over there in um in bend which is a really cool little course i mean i'm not saying it's the best golf course in the world but it's great super fun we came back to the venue it's the the amphitheater uh the schwab amphitheater there in bend is right on the river so we got back from playing golf played pretty good played pretty well you know and then we floated the river so we went down gotten floaters buddy took us up to the top floated down the river had some beers you know had some whatever it's oregon everything's legal so everybody's driving on the river float down the spits you out right you all organic spits you out right in front of the <laughs> right in front of the venue so we come we, we walk back into the venue had some catering delicious food they had a nitro coffee machine on tap so get some get some nitro coffee get my energy back up 
right on stage. So, you know, big sold out show, uh, like crowd is awesome. And then that's the end of the day, go back and sit on the bus and enjoy the, just think about like, wow, that was, that was just an awesome. The weather was beautiful. Just one of those days where everything just kind of comes together. You get, you get, you maximize your day. You do all these fun things. And at the end of it, the show is great on top of all of that. And so I think that one that stands out to me. Uh, but I've obviously, as far as golf goes, like there, I've been very lucky to play some incredible places all over the country. And that's kind of, you know, one of the big, big perks for me and like why I don't get super sick of touring, especially during the summer, because I've my, 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 uh, what they call it. Some my buddies call it the, my weasel network, which is like people invite me out to play at nice, nice clubs all over the country, uh, is very, you know, bigger than it's ever been. So it's like, I go to towns and I'm like, you guys are like, yeah, I want to play. I'm like, yeah, I would love to play, you know, wherever, you know, whatever it is, Somerset Hills in New Jersey or, uh, you know, Sleepy Hollow or the Creek or Pine Valley or places that are like, you know, I never dreamed I would ever have any, like any access to being able to go and play these places and see them. And, you know, for me, being a golf course architecture geek, it's like seeing the architecture of the courses and seeing what these, you know, top, top courses look like is always like a thrill. And um, now it's been really trying to find, for me, it's not just going to the private places, but trying to find the really great public, public like options that have really high end architecture, you know, in um, Charleston recently, uh, the Charleston Muni, awesome loved it like really really loved it i was like i could play here every day like if i lived in charleston i i would probably play there and then the wilmington muni is another place donald ross that's incredible um yeah there's a ton but it's those are the, the places that you know stick out to me that it's just that's the that's the joy of being able to play music and have a lot of time off during your day i i love that Poosh. that's like my, my favorite type of golfer, and I think it's a part of the golf journey, is, you know, we all aspire to play the best places. And I am not going to turn down an invite to Pine Valley. But uh, it's I think you learn, the more you get to play the Pine Valleys, and the more you get to play these, like, incredible places, I think you realize that it, it is special and it is revered for a very good reason. But you, you almost learn that you're going to enjoy it for reasons outside of that. And if you can't have fun at a soul park, and if you can't have fun at, at a Wilmington municipal, then you're, you know, you're missing the point. Like there's a lot of really cool golf courses out there that don't have a claim that are, I'm sitting, you know, South Bend country club. Like I, this place is incredible. And if there's a lot, there's a lot of golfers that just kind of skip over that stuff for the quote unquote bucket list checking the top 100s. And yeah. those are, those are part of the ecosystem and they're really special for their own reasons. And I think that part, that goes back to Scotland. I think that's what a, a huge lesson that I learned when I was ha- just traveling over there, which was, yes, like the first time I went, I wanted to play the Troons and I wanted to play the Turnberries and I wanted to play the, the big name courses, you know, I played. But then I, I also was able to play these smaller courses like Western Gales and Shiskin Golf, uh, Shiskin Golf Club and Nairn and well, Nairn, I guess, is kind of a bigger name one now, but like Brora and, uh, you know, Cruden Bay and places that have, are kind of out out in different places. And, and those were the places that stuck with me the most. And 
um, really just like, wait, I can just pull into, you know, I went the last time I went, I went in 2018 and I've been trying to get back with this, you know, there's been a whole lot of other things happening. I've been trying to get back having kids and whatnot and pandemics, but, um, been really trying to get back. And in 2018, when I went, I happened to be in St. Andrews at the same time. That's when we, you know, I was there with the no lane up guys. We just, it was a totally random event that we happened to be in St. Andrews at the same, you know, for the same two days. And I was able to play a place called London links. And, um, it's right actually borders the 11, 11, uh, golf club, which is like famous for the 11 hole and, and, you know, some, some really cool architecture, but London, I've, it was an, an old, um, it's just, just an awesome, awesome, awesome design. Like you kind of play out from, it's right on the ocean You play out and it's like this big bowl where like a half pipe almost where the, where the first tee and the 18 green are and it plays out and there's all these quirky things where it's got, you know, it's got the, um, the peep, the peephole, uh, you know, from the uh, I, I'm brain farting on the on the the, the name of it. The it's in the submarine, the periscope. So you got the periscope okay. that you're looking, you're looking up over to over a, a hill to see the green through the periscope, and it's got a flag and a bell and a you know and all these little you know these things that give it this this charm and it, the way that it's routed in this little this kind of rectangular property where the par threes kind of angle and play and use the boundaries and use these little things and I was like. Dude, I've never had never heard of this place, you know, and, um, you know, all the research that, and, that I've been doing and the courses that I've been trying to play coming out here and being like, this is such a good course for having never heard of it. And that really like kind of blew my mind of like, there's probably like 500 of these courses in Scotland that n- nobody's heard of that are so good that are they're better than whatever you're playing at home. And they're like, they play right. They play firm and fast and they're proper links. And they're just, you know, they're just these amazing, these amazing little places. And so that's really become the fascination to me now is, is really, you know, how you can turn, you can make something so good. And I think that's what soul park does well is they've really, really realized what they have there, you know, with, with Gil Hans's architecture and, and, and they they set it up right, you know, for the most part, and and they they really really utilize it and play to the people that that play there and and, and please the people that are the locals, and they love it, you know, it's 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 a great place, and so I'm just trying to seek those places out now. That's kind of where uh, I I love and and finding those hidden gems and those little uh, tucked away places that nobody's really heard of. Yeah, I think that's. A dear friend of New Club and mine is Jim Hartzell. Um, and that's one of the things I've definitely learned through him. Like he, he talks so elegantly about those experiences and he's had those Scotland trips and mm-hmm. just how authentic those experiences are on the off the beaten courses. It's much more, you know, a resemblance of life. I know. Um, I mean, everybody wants to go to Dunaverty now because he's been there like he's built it up now. And Jim, Jim, photo. Jim Hartzell is for Dunaverity. Dunaver, I'm terrible at pronouncing it. Dunaverity, yeah. Dunaverity. Jim Hartzell is for Dunaverity what Tom Watson is for Valley Bunyan. He's just, I mean, yeah. people are flocking there. Thanks. <laughs> well, we'll give him a, a free ad. His uh, book release is going to be occurring there. I believe he's doing that in uh, pretty, the time pretty soon. This, this episode releases. I think you're right. And he awesome. also has a couple of mutual friends that he's been hanging out with recently too that we got to ask you about, Poosh. We're going to 
give you the opportunity to air any grievances that you would like to and say whatever you want. But you, DJ Pi, um, Phil, aka Big Randy, and really the whole Nolan Up crew have a a rich and deep history of matches. Um, mm-hmm. I just love following along for the com- competitiveness. Where where does where does that rivalry stand right now? And and where's it going to be at the end of this year? Um, well, listen, let's, let's fire some shots. I'm getting. I'm. I wake up. I wake up yesterday or the day before with all these people in my mentions going, "Oh, Poosh got murdered on the on the no lane no lane up video about Augusta, the Masters video." And Bama Bearcats just like unloading the clip on me out of nowhere. Drive by. Just a total drive by. I don't even know. I don't even know him. Like that's the that's the funny thing is like he's just like. I know it's those guys that are like just telling them like yeah just roast push like just throw them under the bus. So, like I said, I early adopter to the no lane up fandom of the the Twitter account before I'd met any of them, and DJ was the first one that I met. Uh, happened to be going through Florida, uh, and when he was still living down there, and we played golf together at um, Die Valley at TPC Sawgrass, and rode together all day and just hit it off and had a, had a good time and just like laughed and, you know, similar senses of humor. And, um, you know, we, we love movies and, and music and obviously those are like, you know, big things. And then from there, uh, met Tron, D, uh, Tron and Solly, they came out to play the Aviara pro-am, uh, for the LPGA and we got a group together. And so we spent the, for the night, the parents dinner night together, hanging out, having some drinks, uh, just, chatting and and you know meeting each other and then we played together the next day in the in the pro-am and that's where we kind of all hit it off i hit it off with the rest of the a lot of the rest of the guys um and from that point on it just kind of like became like a, a friendship and you know i got to know neil obviously and and got to know you know i haven't i haven't met cody yet or or and ben i've but uh, you know, I feel like I know them, and and the guys have just we just been friends for the last few years. And so, when I go out on the road, you know, I was in happened to be in Cincinnati at the same time as as Randy was back home, and so he took me out to his home course at at Hyde Park, uh, where his family were members for a long time, and I just beat his ass out there. Uh, took <laughs> took him to Pound Town, and then the problem was is that we're negotiating pops, and I'm playing off. At that point, I was playing off like one or zero because I had a really it, it total vanity, like was not a real handicap because I shot 66 in a tournament at Soul Park. It was my best my best round ever. And so, you know, I just stuck in my it was in my scores and I had a, a like a good vein of form for, for a couple months. And so playing off of zero, basically, and going around the country and just getting my ass handed to me by all these play- people because I'm playing these guys at their home clubs that are like a three or a two and I'm giving them pops. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, dude, like I'm not, my game does not, did not travel well. So go to Randy, beat Randy's butt. And the thing is what happened is that we negotiated pops before we played. Cause I was like, listen, dude, I'm not, I'm playing off a fake handicap right now. You're at your home course. Like you should at least, Oh, Oops. All right. Oh, so, uh, sorry. I just got jumped off there. You're still with us. We got you. I, I can, I can right, see okay. you. I can hear you. Okay, I'm just trying to find you. Oh, we oh, we, what we banned <laughs> you. Oh gosh, where is it? Can't 
find the screen anymore. Away we went. Sorry. Um, okay. Yeah, I can't find the where it would be. <laughs> we can we can talk. I feel like we can, an old we man def- right now. Yeah. <laughs> we can definitely hear it. So. <laughs> okay. Well, I was gonna say, um, yeah. I don't know what happened. I got a phone call and it just totally sent me out of the whole thing. Anyway, so. All right, cut back in. <laughs> we're in. <laughs> so, we negotiated the the pops here, and and we're just trying to you know we're trying to find a find a place where it it made made sense. And so, Randy was like, "No, I I don't you know." He's like, "I'll give you I'll." He's one that uh, he offered it to me. He's like, "I'll give you." Uh, six pops or whatever it was, or, you know, I'll, I'll give him six pops instead of eight or whatever it is. And oops, I'm, I'm double. <laughs> Doubled it up. <laughs> you can close out one of them. I think Or Yeah. It says you have, hold on. Let's see what other, there was... When multiple Riverside tabs are open, the same browser, it causes issues during the recording. Please close. That's the man. You could probably boot the first one too. No, I don't, I don't oh, think you don't so. Want to do that. Here, out. here, I got it. I, I found it. There you go. Oh, okay. Got it. All right. Take two. I'm going to mark the clip oh. again. Here we go. I got a clip. We're good. We're good. Boomer. Boomer. Boomer poosh <laughs> on this laptop. Um, yeah. So anyway, I ended up beating his, beating his ass and uh, like four and three. And afterwards, I get in, the, I get in our, my text stream with those guys. And I'm like, like yeah, poosh wins. Like, da, da, da. And then ran, they're like, Wait, what, what? How many pops did you get? And it's like Solly and DJ and Tron, and they all start just calling me a scum, scumbag for like taking less pops or giving less pops. And I'm going like, Yo, your boy Randy gave me. He offered that. It wasn't even me pushing for it. He like, you know. And so obviously, I was like, That's it. Like, and then they went online and they're all just like push with the with scummy push. Like, only like only gave Randy with like three like six pops when he should have given him seven or eight or whatever it was. And so I was like, that's it, dude. Like you guys are all on site now. Like I want, I'm coming for the whole, the whole squad and I'm happy to play the, happy to play the the villain in this, in this one. And so, uh, yeah, Tron and Randy came out for, uh, to Santa Barbara for our white, our white J. <laughs> we call them the J's. They're, 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 uh, for our symposium. And we played, uh, we played Valley club. I took Randy to soul park played Valley club and then we played LACC and I, Randy beat, beat me at Valley club. I just, my, my, I, there's a, it's on their, their, their trap, their uh, trap drop pod. But my daughter came in in the middle of the night, had pooped her pants. And so I had like maybe two hours of like legit sleep, um, showed up to the golf course, almost drove into a bunker at Valley club in a golf cart, <laughs> driving down to the range. <laughs> like, I had to like, you know, guys looking at me like I was out of my mind. Parents and then, tough. Uh, it's tough. Yeah. And then I beat Tron at, at LACC. He came down to the last, he missed the putt and beat him. And so, and then I went, I went to Florida and beat Solly at stream song mm-hmm. and DJ came here and I beat him at Sandpiper. And then Solly, I, Solly beat me at CPC Sawgrass, but it was in, on, I was on tour. It was really, really humid. And I was struggling 
and he beat he really did beat me but so we're like overall i'm i beat all of them um except for neil because neil and i don't have any beef and then <laughs> you've left neil you've left him aside neil like, is gonna, neil and i are partners smoke. <laughs> actually it was supposed to be neil neil and i versus dj and solly was actually going to be the match where we were gonna because i was like you know what neil and i are gonna like beat both you guys asses and so uh neil's neil's the homie so we're in, so now you know that's where we're at but then now, now they're just they're they're getting down the bear cat to just drive by on me in a random master's video that i have nothing to do with so now that i know that's that we're playing the uh, prison rules it's it's on when i see them and now Sally's like, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, gonna be in Florida for like eight days on this tour. And Sally's like, oh, Tim is punching and making excuses. So, Poosh, we'll I, I think it sounds like you, you, you got him on the ropes. And I think I speak for all of our li- listeners that just, just, you know, kudos for you for beating their ass. We're all very happy for NLU. They're very nice guys, but continue to just kick some ass. Um, you. Can you, can you please uh, share with us what? impact our sponsor of this podcast golf blueprint has had in your ability to kick their ass um just comment on that briefly please i think it's just about feel you know that's what golf blueprint is is about you're getting in your feels it's it's like take the technical side of golf out don't play golf don't play golf and don't play golf swing which is like my biggest issue i'm like for a long time i didn't was not thinking about my swing and then all of a sudden it's become how's my takeaway right? Like, does this, does this feel right? Does it have to feel everything has? It's, and then with golf blueprint, it was like, no, just take this wedge and hit it three different distances. You know, hit, hit your 56 wedge, like 90 yards. I hit it 70 yards. I hit it 40 yards. And it's like, okay. And then when you get on the golf course, you're like, that's the real, that's what golf is. It's like, Oh, I have a 67 yard shot. Like, am I going to the, the range and hitting 67 yarders all day long? No, but it's like, if you've hit, 10 75 yarders or 70 yarders and then you can hit a 67 yarder because you're basically just hitting the same shot you know what i mean and then it was just it's like being able to you know shape a shape an eight iron okay hit a hit a draw hit a hit a cut you know hit a straight ball and then it, it, instead of it's it's basically you, you guys are like jedi mind tricking people into dustin johnson it's like well i just want to hit a cut i just hit a cut i just think cut you know it's like one of those like oh yeah, <laughs> yeah okay, that's so true. <laughs> I hit a draw. I just hit a draw. I guess. Oh, it, it, the ball drew. What do you know? That's all I had to do. So it's it's one of those where I think it's just all about taking your out of your the super technical brain and putting it more into the like athlete feel creative brain. I suppose where that kind of goes hand in hand with what we were talking about earlier, which is Great interesting golf. for. Is math, would you consider math a creative? A cre- I think mathematicians consider math more of a creative thing than a science thing, don't they? Absolutely, yeah. It is completely an act of creativity uh, and problem solving. Um, that you know, often math poses as oh, there's one right answer to thing. You know, it's like kind of the layman description of mathematics, and it's far from that. That's the exact opposite of the math, the the art of mathematics and the and the practice of mathematics. Can I ask you, because uh, flip, flip the pod here a little bit, but can I ask you, like, what kind of math exactly is it that you are specifically doing? I mean, oh, that, that's it's the force. You said Jedi. I, Look at back there. That's the I force. See, that's see Jedi the, mind shit Greek, on that board. I see the Greek, the Greek, uh, <laughs> the Greek scrawling cave scrawls in the back, but I'm not exactly sure what it is. Well, not the 
put our listeners to sleep. Um, <laughs> but that's I'll try to keep this short. But uh, that, no, actually. Uh, and welcome my, to the third hour of the bag. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my specific research is all on the psychology side. Um, so like when I did my master's thesis or my master's work and in, in bachelor's work, that was on like, I was doing a lot of polymer engineering stuff and modeling like polymer growth on little small nanotubes. That's much more interesting than some of the other stuff I do or have do now, I would say. Uh, but this into to the general public, uh, that is. But on, so I'm all in the world of psychology. So I think about how students learn mathematics, how kids learn mathematics and how the brain processes mathematics. So to your point about creativity, like, I'm all in the world of how do we embrace the creativity of mathematics. Um, so kids' brains naturally gravitate towards mathematics, which is the exact opposite of how we often teach mathematics. is a very it's a very problem uh, problematic practice, and so I'm in the world of trying to trying to improve that. Interesting, because I think that's personally. I have a degree in psychology also, mm -hmm. um, but personally, I think the that was like my biggest thing with math was growing up was I when I was young, I excelled at math and I got put into this like accelerated math thing because I scored very well on an ERB test and mm -hmm. and it that actually killed my joy of math because it just took all the I think what I enjoyed about math, it just took that and kind of made it into this really like, it was like pressurized it and turned it into like this like structured thing. And I, I didn't, I didn't like that. It just turned me off about it. And that actually kind of pushed me in the opposite direction. Um, even though I feel, always felt like I kind of maybe had a good math brain and never really nurtured it. And so, uh, but that is interesting. I think uh, as a psychology minded person, uh, I, that's that's awesome, and I think it's also uh, fitting because of where we are in this country with the the loss of STEM and STEAM uh, mm -hmm. being a, a big issue with kids. My wife taught STEAM for one year, so I got to kind of firsthand go through the journey with her. Um, but I think it is a big thing. I think it's like they're the, she and this is getting kind of deep and a little bit serious but she you know as a teacher her curriculum changed every single year almost as a public school teacher and and we were just having this discussion about how can you effectively teach a curriculum that changes every single year because you, you the teachers aren't aren't even learning the curriculum themselves to be able to teach it correctly and so how can you expect little children to pick these things up if the, the teachers aren't experts at the curriculum? And it's like, um, I think that's why, you know, we, our daughter is in a Montessori school because it's a curriculum and, and, a, and a teaching style that's been, you know, been going for you know, 80 plus years now, or 80 years at this point. And it's like, that's, you know, that just makes me feel a lot more comfortable. It's just like, it, this is tried and true. And the person that's teaching the class knows it like, it's like they're that's how they live you know and so i think that's that's all very interesting to me at least that you know that's where you're going with your with math it's not just you know some sort of crazy logic equation that stretches out for I mean, maybe maybe it is but you know like like i'm seeing your, your chalkboard behind you that's just gonna go it probably goes on for like 16 more feet that way <laughs> They've got a little bit up there, but no, like, yeah, just, just one closing comment. Like, 
You should just this is a, this is actually a golf blueprint lesson behind me. Um, Part of it is, uh, is it? Yeah. there's some math in golf. Oh, listen, yeah. I see a golf hole there. Yeah. yeah, talking about like variance and averages and differences there. But yeah, like I could rant about what we do to teachers all day. Um, but I'd rather spin that to like your point about mathematics and the Montessori work and all that. Like, think about the mathematics of music, which I took a couple classes on that as my undergrad. Right, like mathematics exists all around us and like if we we need to do a better job of rather like in your case like rather than you all of a sudden becoming someone that doesn't identify as good at mathematics or wanting to do mathematics like what are the natural experiences we can tap into for kids that gets them engaged in mathematics because they learn most of their mathematics actually outside the classroom mm -hmm. and we need to be better with that inside the classroom of tapping on those those experiences to help them you know get motivated with mathematics I, I I was the same kid, and Kevin knows this because he lived with me in college. Uh, he had to trick me into to doing my math homework. He was very helpful getting me through pre-calc. Um, but I was the same kid that I just hated math, man. I I was uh, intimidated by it, and and then you know I think golf. I've, everything in life I've learned through the game of golf, for better or worse, but. <laughs> I like golf is a big math equation, but it's that creative expression of it, right? And how you approach it and engage all these different angles and uh, fractions and um, wind Odds. effect. And, yeah. yeah. And, and I got to physics and the one class that I never had a problem with was physics in all of my math. And it, because I had a teacher that really helped us understand what I think you're alluding to Kevin is this is it's, it's applied to something guys and you can look at it not with the set formula, but you can you can work through it. And uh, and I, I really that resonated with me and I became a, a big astronomy guy in physics, but that was the only math I could ever really stomach. Yeah, it's I think that's I think that's you know, in general, like education, it's like how do how do you and going forward it's how do you find the applied, you know, version of all these things. And I think that's what the biggest question I remember growing up with is like when am i ever going to use this it's like when am i going to ever have to like i got you know, a calculator yeah, i got my like, t90 i got my like, t94 what do we need square root of like blah, blah, blah. it's like yeah well you know it's it's not really about that you know it's like if you have something that can explain it to you it's like well it's not really about that you're just going to have to be doing equations when you turn you know 21 or whatever 22 it's just it's like understanding how to get how you get to these answers, right? I think that's more the, mm -hmm. the bigger the bigger thing. Interesting. Well said. I love it. It is interesting. I, I'm fascinated by math. I think that's I think that's what it's like that high level math fascinates me. It's like it's like it's almost like, you know, the astronomy and, and things that, like you're saying astronomy, like things that are so vast and so like advanced to me that it, it feels like very mysterious. It has that kind of thing going on, you know, what's how space works and how, and that, I guess that, that all ties in with math as well. It's like, uh, you know, how gravity and, and how time works and, and the relativity of time and, and things of that nature without getting too, too dorky and too out there. But, um, all those things are, I find very, very interesting and very like, very, I think the mist, the mystique of it, of space and, and math kind of go together now with me as I get to my forties. Um, I don't know if I could ever, Maybe when I, you know, retire from music, I'll find some time to like really delve in and, and go deep into that, into that world. But it just feels like it's such a huge, like, I don't know if I can, my brain is not powerful enough right now with the amount of sleep that I get to, 
to be able to <laughs> sort through some of that stuff. But the the professor, I think will it's be, so cool. He'll be ready to open uh, welcome you with open arms to his math his math minions when when you're ready. Oh, I'm, hey. I'm yeah. I already know what our next topic of conversation is going to be on the golf course. Uh, Okay, when we great. try to meet up this summer. <laughs> other than other than the shadiness of the no lane up crew and what they're what they're doing to you, so not right. Doesn't feel right. Uh, Poosh, we don't want to take much more of your time. We know you're 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 a father. It's going into the weekend. You got things to do. Um, uh, I did see though you're you're welcoming a new child to the family. Poosh, yes. too. Is that your second child? It's my second child. I have, we have a boy on the way. We had a girl uh, in twenty twenty. April of 2020, pandemic baby, and then we had um, we have a boy on the way. So in September, so squeezed right in between two two tours. But you know that's the life of a musician. Where you know I've been I'll have been off for almost seven months before I go out in May and start touring again. And then uh, you know I won't be around for those you know, a few weeks where, you know, my wife is going to be going through it, but, you know, hopefully we'll have some, we have my mom and family members here. So that's always crucial. That's what, you know, why you, a lot of us live where we live is because we have the family help. And, uh, so yeah. Um, thank you for mentioning that. Yeah. And also have, you know, the birth of two and a new record and new albums that are on the way. And so, after this, as like the only really other thing I have today is I'm headed down to LA to do some writing, and so that's that's my that's my life at the moment. Besides trying to manage life in a boot and uh, getting getting all these golf clubs sent to me that are you know these brand new golf clubs, and I can't hit them for a couple of weeks, so torture, torment, torment. Yeah. Uh, on the father front, I I'm curious, and Kevin plugged at the top of the show your epic twitter follow you really are uh it's poosh daddy on twitter if you're looking for him um did you were you poosh daddy before you became a father did you insist on people on the internet calling you poosh daddy or, i was or was that after you became a father it was just poosh and then you said all right now i'm a dad i gotta be poosh daddy How did well that no come? it's funny because in college i i never really had a nickname ever in my life like for some reason i was always just micah and like or mikey to my friends my mom and it was like never had an, like a real nickname. And then when I got to college, uh, one of my, my buddies named Tom Wu and he'd always be like, he'd just call himself Wu. He'd like, you know how Wu do? He just be like, he was just like one of those guys like, you know how Wu do? And so I just started I like, to, like him. yeah, no, he's awesome. So I started, uh, just, just started to piss him off. I'd be like, you know how Poosh do? And he'd be like, no, that's not yours. That's mine. That's mine. Like, and so I just started being like, you know how Poosh do? And then it just stuck. And then I became Poosh. Like everybody just started calling me Poosh. And it was like, I basically gave, I didn't give myself a nickname, but it was like, I was doing it as a joke and then it caught on. And so I don't know where, and then it just became like, I think Poosh daddy was like, like just to, it was just a me talking shit to my friends, like just trying to like make a joke. And then it just, you know, just ran with it. So when I got a Twitter push daddy, and it's funny because I'm not push daddy anywhere else on the internet, except for on Twitter, but yeah. it's just stuck. So you go with what you, uh, but you, you start with, I suppose it's kind of like our band name. We're like, should we change our band name? Like it's kind of too late at this point. We might as well just keep it. <laughs> Yeah, you're in. You're in. Yeah, you're Expe in. Now. 
that, at least that's better than my first screen name. I don't know if you remember AOL screen names, but uh, uh, I didn't even know what it was at the time. But my first AOL screen name was Pimp Daddy Matt. And I, I don't think I knew what a pimp really did. I thought it was just a, all positive. I thought it was just like, oh, yeah, pimps are cool, man. Like, that's, a, that's a compliment. My mother was, you know, we're on the, the family computer, and she looks over in my little chat. I'm talking to, like, you know, Lauren67215 Hart, and it says Pimp Daddy Matt. And she goes, what is that? So she made me, she made me change my name. But you know what I changed it to? P.D. Matt. <laughs> Terrible. I yeah. never knew that background on the name of P.D. Matt. That, yeah, that's so where much. Happened. Everybody just thought you were a, like Prairie Dunes guy or something. Yeah, you know, big, Prairie Dunes guy. big Prairie Dunes <laughs> That's guy. hilarious. Mine was, I don't remember what mine was. It was like Booba Scuba because it was like a nickname that <laughs> my high school girlfriend. <laughs> AOL so, screen names. I, I, oh, we had an event last night. And I, I've always said that how cool would it be if you go to like one of those mixers, like new club does a bunch of social events now. So like go to a mixer and you're not allowed to write your name on a name tag, but you have to write your original AOL screen name. I feel like that would be that's fantastic. Hilarious. That's hilarious. Yeah it's, yeah. it's funny because that's in, when I went to college, that's like how, you know, I'm, we're, we're aging ourselves, I suppose, but it's like when we're in college, like that's how I, we, we called everybody like that we knew by their like screen names, like as a, like, you know, if it was like the girls that we were talking to or whatever, we would call them by their like AOL screen names. Like it wasn't like, <laughs> oh, that's Jennifer. It was like, you know, J, J Love or <laughs> 43 or whatever. Yeah. Whatever it was. You're just like, oh, it's J Love 43 up to today. You know? <laughs> so true. So true. <laughs> Oh, uh, well, well, Pooch, thank you, man. This was really fun to be with you and congrats on everything you got going on. It is uh, amazing that you, you both personally and professionally and your golf game, you got um, you got a lot happening, my friend. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Hopefully I didn't totally derail your podcast for you know an hour, but I <laughs> appreciate you having me on here. Sorry about being late. Um, <laughs> no problem at all happy to do it anytime i love t talking with you guys love talking golf so appreciate you well i'm gonna go on record uh as part of team golf flipper here and say we're team push this year um, let's go love, love the no lane up guys but man integrity is a big part of new club you know integrity is one of our, our integrity. morals and man, they're just the drive-bys the sign a contract and then complain about it i mean that's just it's not, it's not good. It's not yeah. Good they, 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 you know, I get Tron and Randy just bashing me on the trap trap when I'm not even there. And it's like, you know, they're calling out my, my, my fantasy league, like calling me, they basically just calling me a scumbag and it's, it's, yeah, we're tired of it. Yeah. And time, I feel bad time. for Neil. I think that's what I, you know, I feel bad for Neil just being stuck in that with that mess of, of integrity. I, you know, I'm glad he kind of just is, the righteous one defending you, Poosh. We're happy to, to chime in as well. Thank you. Appreciate it. Poosh Daddy, Professor. That was fun. One of the best people in the business. I mean, just a genuinely good person. All right, salt of the earth. Super wicked smart. He like he can yeah. talk about a little bit of anything, and that's that's just uh, so much fun to get someone like that in the pod that can bounce around different things and who's at the top of their craft too. Yeah, yeah, and it, uh, that it, I I didn't appreciate. I mean, good dude. I kind of had a sense that I would enjoy his company from 
you know, just seeing him with the no lane up guys and whatnot. Uh, his music music is great, but intelligence is like off the charts. I mean, I just was so blown away. One thing that like was my kind of takeaway, if you will, on a deeper level was the idea of uh, being good at something and being brave enough to switch it up and and being uh, you know courageous enough to fail. I, I found that whole t- him talking about iration and their their arc of them having that success trying some new things outside of that recipe, if you will, and and kind of going back to it, but also in going back to it on their terms in like a more educated way because they had had those failures. I think I, I think that could be applied to anybody's life, right? Like we, we all have success at something. We might try to just keep repeating that over and over again. But part of it is the experimentation, the let yourself fail. It will educate you why you're really good at something. I mean, that's there, there's a golf analogy in there for sure of like, how many people have you seen? Like, I'm a great putter. Do you know why you're a great putter? No. And do you go and try other things with putting and your putting gets worse? Yes. And then you you realize because it's worse that you're that that these are the reasons you are good at, pu- at putting. And you can actually explain that to other people and you can actually explain it to yourself. So I, I, I took a lot of that uh, from that portion of the conversation. What about wow. you? What, what were your kind of takeaways from Poosh. Well, there's actually a, a psychology and learning theories explanation to that, but I, we've already talked about enough of math and psychology during the pod, so I'm not going to go into that and, and bore people. But You, you and Poosh could have a spinoff Yeah, pod we'll talk, him and I will talk about that. Huberman Lab uh, podcast network type of deal. Yeah, this is our version of the trap draw. Um, <laughs> right. more, uh, no, like, I don't, I guess this isn't a point. This is just a, a thought that occurred to me, like, what is it about golf that is such an outlet for people and so many different people that other sports don't have? You don't hear people talk about basketball in the same way, this outlet, this thing they do that has this meaning and exploration and journey to it. Um, Obviously, like hiking and other things like that, I think, do capture that. But there's something about unique in golf as like a competitive venture that that people seek out. And, And Poosh is just another... Another case of that, of someone that's really great at what they do, uh, and yet golf, as he said it, the bug bit him, and he's addicted to it, and it's it's the outlet, right? It's the escape. It's the, I don't want music there. I just want to be out there and connect with it, hear the little sounds, hear the little things, be present. And it's just, yeah, like I said, I don't have a point to that, just a thought of why is golf like that? And it, it, regardless of the answer to that, it's beautiful to me, and it's why we're all why we do this podcast it's why you started a new club it's why we connect with people uh it's why we brought push on here yeah and it was uh home run professor that was really a fun episode a uh, lot happening happy may to everyone may 1st it is uh it's golf season and we got a bunch going on for new clubs so the international sets sail to northwest ireland this uh this coming week the hangout in chicago our first outdoor event is may 20th supporting canal shores and all the cool things going on there in chicago and then uh we got registrations for a lot of atlanta events the hooch the 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 rumble the brood there's a lot to look forward to this season thanks golf blueprint i think this is our last it's never the last we'll always We'll always chime in, and Dr. Doris will call in. We'll always have it. I think this is the last official episode with their their support on this one. But uh, it's been a good run, Professor. Thank you. Thank you to you. Oh, no. I hope everyone had fun at the spring meeting. If you try to text me, 
I might not be around for a few days. Always need a few days of recovery post spring meeting at Sweetens Cove. Uh, for sure. Because who knows what shenanigans we're going to get out there with uh, Mr. Adamski. Yeah, yeah, that'll be uh, that'll be a blast. Thanks everybody again for listening. Uh, have a great rest of the week. We'll talk to you next time.